Now, we're going to be continuing today in our Heads Up series. We, we're, we're nearing the end. Um, we've spent a lot of time early on in this series looking at the importance of our attention and our connection to God and to others and how technology, while, it be, while it's a wonderful tool, is a terrible master. And so we looked during the first few weeks of the series at all the ways that, in a deconstructive way, technology can rip our lives apart and really steal the very center of our best life with God and with others and our purpose for living. The last few weeks, we're going to spend, we've been spending some time on reconstructing. So what does it actually look like to have a tech-wise life? Um, and Dan, last week, anchored us in our, our text that has sort of rooted our thinking together from Ephesians. It says uh, to be careful how we live. Uh, we're not to live like fools, but like those who are wise. So in every area, including technology, we're to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days and to not act thoughtlessly or just simply reactively to life and to culture, um, but to do it with understanding based on what the Lord wants us to do. And so certainly that's a great text to anchor our thinking when we come to all areas of our life, um, but particularly to technology. Um, And so last week, Dan gave us this very powerful thought that our lives actually have a purpose, they have a mission. And so when when we see the light of our screens... You know, whether they be our cell phones, our computers, our television sets, whatever it would be, um, that let, to let the light of those screens remind us of our central purpose in life, which is the fact that we have received the light of God through the revelation of Jesus Christ to us, and that we are to be the light. So when we, when we engage in any activity of life, we're to be light. So the light of our screens remind us that we are to engage our technology, what we're going to watch what we're going to engage in, how we're going to use the technology in a way that is actually missional and on purpose. And he anchored us in the text, Ephesians 6, which is about the armor of God and the fact that we're in a spiritual battle, um, that no, there are no insignificant moments, no insignificant people, no insignificant decisions. And so every moment of our technology use actually is a moment of actually spiritual battle that we're either moving into goodness or into evil um, and so he gave us some ways to think about that last week. Again, all of these talks are online if you want to go back and review any of this stuff. Um, and this week, um, we're going to look at what it would look like to, be, uh, to have a tech-wise life in the context of our homes. Okay, and I'm going to go ahead and just you know, say this, this week, I am drawing heavily from this book, great book, called The Tech-Wise Family by Andy Crouch. Andy is a... Um, you know, a he was the editor of Christianity Today. Um, he's been known for his engagement with culture. He wrote a really excellent book with his wife um, about how they've been thinking about technology in the context of their homes. Now, some of you don't have kids at home. This sermon, this sermon is still for you because the principles that I'm going to be giving you um, this morning apply to any kind of life. However, I do want us to engage this because technology is the native language of our children, right? And we're seeing, and we've referenced this in the series, that technology is having a huge shaping influence um, on children. Again, much of it for good, but awful lot of it for evil. So we talked about how, you know, this is the anxious generation, that we're seeing incredible, we're seeing incredible anxiety. And you can imagine being 13 with social media, right? Think back to that. Um, just incredible pressures coming onto our family. Um, but it's also doing things to our brains. It's doing things to our development socially. And so we need to think about this in the context of our households. Okay, so we're going to ask this question, what does it look like 
to have a tech-wise family or a tech-wise household? And what, what, how should we be thinking about technology in the context um, of our homes? Let me just say this. Um, raising kids has always been hard. It doesn't matter what generation you're in. And, and some of you um, that raised your kids years ago, can you agree with this? It was no picnic, right? Raising kids has always been hard. Um, but as parents are being surveyed and as, as uh, you know, sociologists are looking at this, technology certainly hasn't made it any, any easier, right? Now, now you have this other dynamic, powerful dynamic, shaping the lives of our households. And so now we're raising kids in the presence of pervasive tech, 24-7 news cycle and pervasive tech, okay? And so, and so this, has made it, there's, this has made it uniquely challenging in some ways, okay? Now, it's important to step back and look at this from the big picture. The goal of technology is to make life easy, okay? This is what, this is what makes the best tech, right, is that it simplifies and sort of takes the work out of things that would be otherwise complex. So just think about uh, information and the flow of it. You don't have to go look for it anymore, right? It's pushed to you. So, so the goal of technology is to make life easy. But let's step back and think about this. Is that the goal of a family? So, so if you were to actually have the power to make everything easy for your children, would that actually be good for them? See, the goal of the family actually is character formation, you're trying to build into a human being an inner life of wisdom and of courage and of goodness and of beauty and to develop habits, which is actually, you know, your, your habits add up to your character. So your automatic responses to life that actually are anchored in power and in truth and in goodness. Now, how many of you know that just like a muscle, the way that you develop character is through what? Resistance, right? Think about any of the character that you've ever developed, for good or bad, in your life. It involved choices of things that were not always easy. They were hard. They required you to go against your short-term feelings in order to have long-term reward, right? So you learn, the, you learn through discipline and through practice the ability from the inside out to overcome obstacles and to have perseverance, to have vision for, for what is more than the immediate, right? So our goal as families and as parents and as households and as human beings is to develop character so that we can do the hard things that actually add up to what is truly good, right? Now, do you see how these two things may not go together, Technology is trying to make things easy. As parents, you're trying to develop character, which requires hard. And so, again, in this area, if we're simply just being reactive, we can create contexts that do not add up to the primary goal of what we're about. Okay? Now, here's how it gets, even, it gets even a little more stickier. Technology is not only trying to make things easy. It's trying to make things easy. It's trying to make everything easy. And it's trying to do it everywhere. So now technology, through the presence of cell phones, can go with us through every moment of our life with the goal of making things easy. Right? So now we've got, now we've got this influence at the very core of our lives that is, that is inescapable, if we allow it to be. It's everywhere. So there are no moments 
right, where the shaping influence of technology um, is not affecting us. And this is something as parents and as households, we've got to step back and just recognize that, therefore, if we're going to raise kids or we're going to develop character as human beings, we have to set limits on something that, by definition, the goal of it is to be everywhere and with everything. You follow what I'm saying? So it's going to involve limit setting. Now, the plot thickens, okay? Because technology is not only making things easy everywhere, it's also mastering the art of the, pro- the proactive nudge. Okay, now, I'm not going to spend tons of time on this, but human behavior is, is not simply a matter of your willpower. Willpower is actually a very limited resource. And you have to use it sparingly because, because you fatigue. That's why you can resist things for a little while and then give in because you just run out of, you run out of what? You run out of willpower. So the way we actually function in life to limit the expenditure of, of willpower is we actually respond to all kinds of cues in our environment, right? And technology has actually mastered this. This is why the little ding on your phone has habituated you like, a, like, a, like Pavlov's dog, right? Like, you, you know, you, er, I just saw a buzz. I got to check. I got to check. I got to check. It's, it's like the, the nudging you to attention, um, but there's all kinds of other nudges in technology. Um, pop-up ads, right? Look at me, look at me, squirrel, squirrel, you know, and like, and like before, before, you're, before you're even intending to it, your attention is, is taken down a path. All kinds of visuals, this is how sexual stuff works too, like, like you don't always set out on your technology to look at things that you wish you didn't. But, the, but the, porn, the porn industry is going to be proactive, right? In, in, in putting up things that actually catch your eye and your attention. So stimulation junkies don't just happen overnight. They're being encouraged okay, through technology that's trying to hook you, hook you, hook you with advertisements, um, with things that glitter, with things that shine, that, with things that offer and appeal to your desires, and sometimes your worst self. Okay, so technology has mastered this art. The question is, as parents and in our households, have we, have we mastered the art of the nudge? Are we setting up cues in the environment of our lives and of our households that actually incentivize, reward, encourage, stimulate the kinds of behavior and time usage that we actually think leads to true joy, true beauty, and to character development. Have we even thought about this, like in our households? Now, I want to let you know that these principles um, are actually given to us in the Word of God, uh, and they were given a long time ago. So I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. I have it on your screen. I'm going to try to read it here. Yeah, my glasses will work. Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 6 beginning in verse 6. This is addressed, apparently, to parents and to households, okay? You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So this is the wisdom of God. 
you must repeat them again and again to your children. You are to talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. You are to tie them to your hands. You are to wear them on your foreheads as reminders. You are to write them on the doorpost of your houses um, and your gates. Now, do you get the sense of this passage? He's talking about how character formation and how the truth of God actually pervades our consciousness and eventually shapes our vision, our thoughts, and then our behaviors. And I want you to notice a couple of things. That training into character formation is not a one-off affair. You see this? It's not something that you just hear the information and say, oh, I got it. You know, it's not something that you just come to church on the weekends and hear a message about and then go on with your life. Do you see how there's a lot of attention here, not, to, not to, with the content, that, that it actually, that actually be tied and married to the context. So it's not just the content that matters. It's also the context. So in this text, what you're seeing a lot of is the when and the where. It's like when you get up, when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed. You see this? In all these different contexts and places, the character formation has got to be infused. Like if you just like leave it to the Sunday school teachers or to the weekends or to, or to, or to just particular moments, you don't get the pervasive nature of the saturation. See what I'm saying? The goodness and beauty and justice and truth have got to be in every part of our lives. So we've got to pay attention to the context, not just to the content when we're talking about moral training. Secondly, did you notice the nudges in this passage? Did you notice them? You're to wear, you're to wear the commands where? On your foreheads. You're to tie them to your hands. You're to put them on the gates. You're to put them up on the doorpost. What are these? They're reminders. They're visuals. They're cues. See, see, you know, what it, so if I were to walk into your house, your house would actually tell me a story, the way you've set it up, right? The way you've actually set it up would tell me a story about the moral training that you're endeavoring for the people who live there, okay? Um, and what the scripture is telling us here is that character formation and moral training needs to pay attention not just to content, but to the context, the when and the where and the, and the cues, the physical cues, the reminders that are all around us, the environment okay, that we live in. All right? And this is, part, this is part of it. This is how the truth of God actually gets into the human soul. All right, now, this asks the question then, what would a tech-wise household or family actually look like? And I want to suggest to you, this is from Andy Crouch, that we must begin to take charge of technology in all of these places. We have to think about space, 
like our physical spaces. We have to think about our time. And we have to think about relationships. Okay? Now let's dig into this. How would we begin to structure space? And all I have for you here, I'm not, I'm not giving you legalism. I'm, not, I'm, giving, I'm giving you wisdom. Okay? This is wisdom. I just want to ask you some questions about the spaces that you live in. What does the center of your home actually reward? So where, before that, where is the center of your home? When, when most families are asked this, what do you think they say? Someone said the kitchen. I heard it. It's probably the kitchen and the living room, right? That's the spaces in your house where most of the communal activity takes place. If I were to walk into the center of your living room, what would I intuit that it actually rewards and incentivizes? Most people, the center of their living room looks like a shrine. Like if you were, to, if you were, you were from another planet and you were to walk in and you would say, what, what, what is the center of this house? What would it be? It would be the media center, right? Okay? Now, what I want to suggest to you is that if you want to, if you want to think about context... The center of your house should actually reward creativity. It should reward engagement with others. It should reward those kinds of like interactive behaviors. It should not, it should not look like a shrine to a television set. Okay? I'm just saying. Right? Because otherwise, what are, you, what are, your, what are your kids going to get the message that life's about? So at the center of your house should be musical instruments. It should be craft tables. It should be, it should be like games on the thing, you know, that are cueing people to, to, to join into something. It should be spaces that are, that are actually centered around conversation, right? Um, rather, than, rather than, so we should be pushing the technology to the margins so that when you go to it, you have to do it on what? Purpose. So when you go to the television set to do entertainment, you do it as a choice because you have a purpose behind it rather than as a reflexive action because you've cued yourself out. See what I'm saying? To this kind of life. Secondly, where does your technology sleep? Okay, I'm serious. Is your, does your technology go to bed with you? Um, most people, when they're surveyed, guess where their cell phone sleeps? Yeah, with them. Most teenagers have what in their bedrooms? Computers, televisions, cell phones, okay? Now, I could hit this two or three different ways, um, but let me just tell you the practicality of this. When you're lonely... When you're sad, when you're anxious, when you can't sleep, and you're you're laying alone in your you're laying alone in your bedroom, what are you going to turn to? Probably your probably your cell phone or your television set. Okay, now here's the question I want to ask you as parents. Is a cell phone or a television set who you want your kids to be talking to when they are asking the big questions of their life? Just asking you. 
If your technology sleeps with you, this is what the studies are showing, this is where they're going to turn. Did you know that the majority of the destructive behavior on cell phones and and television sets happen when? At night and when you're alone. Okay, so I'm just asking the question. Again, this is not legalism. I'm I'm just throwing it out here. If the goal is something other than easy everywhere and the goal is something deeper than, like it's something more personal than, this, where does, your, where does your technology sleep? Maybe it should have its own bedroom. So maybe technology should sleep somewhere else. Okay, thirdly, what happens on your commutes? Um, a lot of times, like, we spend the majority of our one-on-one time, you know, with our kids when we have a captive audience in little bits, probably in the car, right? Now, if everybody's on their cell phones or watching videos as a reflex action in the car, guess what's not happening? Conversations um, and contemplation. So one of the things that Andy Crouch says is they just had, a, they just had a, like, a, like a family conversation that the cars are for conversation. The cars are for conversation and they're for contemplation. So, like, if you don't feel like talking, think. Okay, be still. Look out the window. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we never watch videos on a trip, but here's the point. When you go to the technology, it should be on what? It should be on purpose, not reflexive, again, um, or aimless. Because that, that, that is a huge part of moral training. Okay, this is about space. Now, let's talk for a minute um, about time. About time. Question, do you wake up before your devices? And do your devices go to bed, go to bed before you do? Okay, so that's the question. And for your household. Now, if, you, if, the answer to those, if the answer to that question is no, I, they wake up with me, the first thing I do is check them. And I fall asleep by the light of them. More than likely, I can tell you that you have very little time for silence. And your kids have very little time for silence. Now, silence, I don't care what religious tradition you're from, or even if you're not from one, silence is the mother of clarity. Okay? And it's also, it's also the engine of awareness and gratefulness. So if you crowd your life full of noise, what's going to go down is your awareness, it, you're going to, your gratefulness level is going to go down, which is related to joy, and your clarity, your sense of, because the clarity always emerges in science, of what your purpose, and actually where you're, you know, like, like you cannot answer pr- questions of purpose, which then get to passion and how you say yes and no to things in your life if you have no silence. Prayer is out the window the whole nine yards. So one of the practices that will help you at least have space for the time to be silent is to develop the practice of having some period in the morning before you turn on your television or your cell phone and before you check your email to pray and to get clarity on your life and before you go to bed. Now, let me just add, let me just add an additional benefit of this. Blue light 
you know, even when you wear the glasses, and mental activity on a television or a computer screen, brainwaves-wise, is terrible for your sleep. Do you know there's a sleep epidemic in America? Like, I'm serious. A sleep epidemic, among other epidemics, particularly among the youth, and probably a big part of it. So, so even, if, even if you strip all the other destructive behavior out of this, you will sleep better if you do this, which, which feeds all kinds of other cognitive and psychological, spiritual things in your life. Put the devices to bed. To teach your kids how to set limits for a great life. You know, with their technology, rather than falling to sleep by the blue light of screens. Okay? Now, secondly, do you schedule regular technology-free hours and days? So are there any zones in your family life that actually technology gets shut off? Do you have any, do you have any limits on this? Do you know that one of the best things that you could do for relationships in your life and with your family is to eat with others, to share meals? Do you know what is absolutely just amazing to me? I was at a restaurant last night with my family, crowded, okay, all kinds of families out, with kids. You know what I observed on almost every table? Parents and kids, but lot, mostly parents, looking at their cell phone. There was one little boy sitting next to us at the table, starting to act out. Both of his children were, both of his parents were on their cell phone, staring at it. He was, I was watching it. He was, he was trying to get their attention, trying to get their attention, trying to get their attention. He started to act out until his mom yelled at him. But you know what she looked away from? Her cell phone. The husband was having dinner with his family. His wife would ask him an occasional question. He would answer her. I could see his lips moving. His eyes never lifted off his screen. You know what this is? This is insanity. The dinner table, at least, should be a technology-free zone. Okay? But do you have any rhythms or regular periods of disengagement from your technology. Listen, if you don't have that anywhere, if you don't have daily, weekly rhythms of some kind of disengagement from technology, you need to, you need to pray and think about that, whether that's actually adding up to the life that you actually want, okay? And are screens used aimlessly or alone? I think the principle here, as we're teaching our children, is that we have a purpose in our lives, we have something incredible that God's made us for and that we're receiving and giving at all moments. There is not space for aimless or solitary activity, generally speaking, with our technology. They need to be used on purpose, you know, for, for things, and they generally don't need to be used alone. They don't need to be used alone. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad behavior, okay? Um, now, structuring relationships. Okay, I'll just say this in closing. Do you enforce a no-secret policy um, in your household regarding technology? So what I mean is that because the purpose of a family is intimacy, it's connection, the, the, uh, the other side of that value is that we have transparency and that we're accountable, right? That's the way relationships work, especially exclusive ones. Like, covenant relationships work 
in transparency. So the question is, has that become your family norm by the way that you've set up your technology? Do you have a filter, for example, on your Wi-Fi? Now, I know everybody can get around filters. I don't think they're the solve-all. But it, when it does, it says, our family values transparency enough that we set up a baseline. And by the way, open DNS. Okay, it's free. It's basically, you, you, can, you can route it, uh, your wireless right into it. And you can set the limits of what you want on your wireless network. Okay? Um, but do you, have, do you have a no secrets policy? Do you have a filter? As spouses, do you have access to each other's technology? Do you know each other's passwords? Do you have permission? Have you given each other permission at any time to get onto your cell phone or onto your computer? Um, the, question, the question, if the answer to that is no, is why? Is it just because you haven't thought of it? Or is it because of something else? Like, pretty good practice, right? To stay above reproach and to keep trust in a relationship is just to and you can say to your kids, like, listen, mom and dad live with transparency. You can't get on my cell phone. No, you can't. can't read my text. But mom can. Okay? There's nothing that goes on in my life, you know, that my wife doesn't have access to or vice versa. Okay? Because, it's, because we live, as a rule, with connection and intimacy as the goal. And we understand that transparency is part of trust. So do you have do you have a do, uh, do you have a no secrets policy? Do you plan weekly non tech activities? So do you have anything in your household rhythm that says we're going to have a family night and we're going to have fun? We're going to have fun together. And guess what? It doesn't involve watching a movie or playing a video game. Like we're actually we actually have legs. Let's ride. A, let's walk. Like we'll, or we'll ride a bike or we'll play a board game. You know, or, or, you know, or you add in the thousands of options. Like we should have a toolbox of things that are weekly so that, we, so that we don't lose the rhythm of actually interacting with each other in ways that are not tech. Um, and finally, do you show up and do you tune in for relational moments? Um, again, I'm just mentioning last night, okay, on the, in the grand scheme of things, like what's one dinner at, at, you know, at Olive Garden? But, but as a pattern... The non-eye contact, um, distracted, not tuning into one another, not showing up, not being present. You know what this communicates? Volumes. Okay, volumes about what, what, it, what is actually sacred. Now, here's, here's the thing. Think about it for a second. Every single bond that you have in life, every human relationship that you have, particularly with your family, is not forever. Right? One day, every single one of these relationships is going to be broken by, if nothing else, what? It's going to be broken until the resurrection by death. So the way that we honor the sacredness of life and of one another, of what it is to be human, what it is to be fragile, what it is to be time-limited, what it is to have a soul, is that we honor one another by being present. Do you follow what I'm saying? And we need, to have, we need to have a commitment to one another that says, I will show up and I will tune in in the good and the bad moments of life because, 
Because what we're doing here and where all this is going is absolutely the most sacred thing in life. Follow what I'm saying? Now, I'm going to leave you with a practice, okay? I hope this is not coming across too harsh. I'm just trying to help us think. It's making me think, okay, in my, in my life and in my family. But here, here's the practice this week. What if we were all to go home and just do a technology audit of our house? I'm just like walking with fresh eyes and just look. What's the story this is telling? How do we use tech? Where do we use it? What are the cues? What are the nudges? Like, what are we incentivizing? What are we rewarding? Right? And particularly when it comes to the center of my home, like, what is the story that that tells? And is it the story that I want to tell? And what if we were to begin to think together as a family, first with, with spouses or in your, in your household, like, how could I retool this space to reward and to incentivize creativity and conversation and personal engagement because the relationships that happen in this household are the most important thing actually in my life. All right? Would that be an awesome practice? Thought experiment this week? To look at the center of our homes and do an audit on it and think about if there's anything we want uh, to change. All right? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, my friends. I think that we can just dig into the hard stuff in life. Like, look at your word and just compare it and just go, Lord, do you have more for me in the way that we're engaging life, the way we're engaging tech? Like, would you bring the sacred and the beautiful and the good, the character formation for which we yearn in our own lives and for our kids, back online? In Jesus' name, amen.